listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's jump in today. There's things I want to show you, things that I want to get go over and get through. And uh, I want you to do your best to take notes if you can. Help me by putting some of these things in the comments section. Um, this will, will help you. What are we doing today? We're answering the question. Number one, this is today's broadcast. Hear me because this is an important question that you will be asked if you've not been yet, yet asked this question. Why should I believe the Bible is God's word. Why should I believe the Bible is God's word? Literally a supernatural collection of documents. Why should I believe that? You know, and then you'll get this kind of a question too. Well, why would you say, why would you believe that your scriptures are any better than someone else's scriptures? Why would you say that you believe the Christian Bible is you know better than the Quran that that the Muslims use? Why would you or any holy book for that matter that a religion may point to the Book of Mormon or and why would you say that your scriptures are better than their scriptures or why would you say and and here's what you have to remember it's not I'm not saying that the Bible is better a better scripture than the Quran. I'm not saying that the Bible is a better scripture than the Book of Mormon. I'm not saying that it's a better scripture than another holy book. What we're saying is that the Bible is scripture and those other books are not. (laughs) It's not that we're trying to argue that the Bible is a better scripture. It is scripture. It is God's word. And those other books are not God's word. They're not God's word. So understand it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not an argument of quality, you know, like, well, ours is, you know, 90% God's word and theirs is only 20. No, ours is God's word. Theirs is not God's word. Now, having said that, you, you know that any person of any religion could say that about the book that they hold. Well, no, we say ours is and yours isn't. So that's, that's not the only thing I'm going to give you today, but I do want you to know that it is not that we're arguing quality differences. Well, you know, ours is a better scripture. No, ours is the only thing that's considered to be God's word. And I'm going to give you reason for that in just a moment. And these others are not God's word. They're not God's word. The Quran is not God's word. The Book of Mormon is not God's word. And so we're going to cover that. But as we do, I want to start by reading you a passage of scripture. And as we read the passage of scripture... Um, I want you to take a look at it for one reason is that as we look at this passage found in second Peter, by the way, it kind of gives us a breakdown, if you will, of why we believe what we believe about God's word. Why do you believe this is like, I feel like I'm doing an unboxing brand new Bible that I got unboxing it on the unboxing it on the screen. And by the way, we got these. Let me let me just say this. Um, these are beautiful. I just got this from the office yesterday. Jenna gave me a copy. Jenna's not fired by the way she's hired. She just celebrated six years with Miracle Word University, by the way. Somebody give Jenna some love in the comments. Just celebrated six years 
working with Miracle Word Ministries. And uh, we love and appreciate her so much that I'm not going to fire her today. Um, phenomenal job she's doing. But we just got these. Remember, you've heard me saying for our partners that we're sending out those that um, those that have sewn $1,000 or more uh, throughout the month. We're going to send you a beautiful, uh, genuine leather uh, life application study Bible in the New Living Translation. This is the Bible we're sending you, the Life Application Study Bible uh, in the NLT. But this thing right here is amazing. This book, the way they've put this together, this thing is unbelievable. Just the, I like to smell a new Bible. Is that weird? I like the smell of the, of the printing. It smells, it smells new. It's got the tabs in the side. If you can see the tabs, thumb tabs, but the, look at the thickness and I'll show you why. Um, the thickness is so is 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 so much bigger than a normal Bible. It's because it's a study Bible filled with maps on mo um, like tons of maps. All of this, and I see scripture is here to here. Then you have from almost half the page down is notes, uh, commentaries written by a number of contributors that are uh, biblical scholars, and uh, phenomenal stuff. Absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait to dig into this. At the beginning of every book, they do an introduction to the book. They give you all the main points, the vital statistics, uh, the timeline, the blueprint, the themes of the, of the book, who it was written to, when it was written, who it was written by, uh, the cultural connotation of why it was written and what it covered. And uh, genuine, this leather is, there's no other way to say it, buttery. This thing is awesome. Uh, I love this Bible already. Just this, this, uh, the way they've put this together is, is very phenomenal. So I'll be taking this one for me and, um, and using it as far as for study. And obviously, you know, as well as I do, and I'm, I want to make this, uh, statement, the Bible is what's inerrant, not the notes that people wrote in it or not the, you know, all the things that are filling it. Obviously those things are not without error. There's no, there is no study Bible that you can pick up and say, well, I'm going to just take the notes as a, at the same level of God's word. They might be holy men that wrote them, godly men that love the Lord, that are genuine in their beliefs. But you have to remember the notes and the commentaries are written by men that are fallible, but the scripture itself is infallible. So uh, let me give you a quick example. You're not going to find any commentary that you're going to agree with every single thing in it, especially as a Pentecostal. Um, and I'll, I'll say that even about this Bible. I was looking at the notes on Acts chapter two, and uh, even in even in the Acts chapter two notes in this Bible, uh, they believe that when they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, that they were speaking foreign languages, which is not what we believe at all. It's not what Paul taught tongues was. It's not what was going on in the early church. Uh, has nothing to do with speaking a foreign language. Uh, and that's a separate broadcast all in itself, but that's kind of the Baptist view that it was just God anointing the apostles to speak foreign languages for the purpose of evangelism. And there are scholars that believe that I don't and can prove it from scripture. Um, but of course, that's one of the notes in this Bible. You're going to have that when you have Baptist and Presbyterian scholars writing the notes, but you just have to know how to eat the uh, meat and spit out the bones. Anyway, this is a phenomenal Bible that I, I'm, I'm loving this. So this is what we're going to be sending uh, to you guys. It's beautiful. I'm also looking into the Spirit-Filled, um, I guess the Spirit-Filled Life Bible Notes or whatever by Jack Hayford, also a great one. We're just trying to get it to you in like the New Living Translation. Anyway, today's going to be good. I want to look with you at um, 2 Peter 
chapter one. This is where we're going to start today. Second Peter chapter one. And I want to read you verses 16 through 21. And this, listen, if you've got your Bible open or you've got a, uh, a Bible app open, trust me when I say get a highlighter out and a pen or tap that thumb on those verses and highlight the heck out of these because you're going to want to keep this in mind, what I'm getting ready to read you, uh, in defense of Scripture, in defense of biblical inerrancy and the fact that it's inspired by God, by God, okay? And then I'm going to give you the quote uh, that we're going to go with today. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Let me read it to you in the ESV. Listen to this. For we did not, I'm going to read it slowly because there's a lot to unpack here. So listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what Peter wrote in this epistle. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That first verse is very important. Very important. What Peter is essentially saying in this first verse we're covering, verse 16, is saying that when we preach the gospel to you, when we gave you the teaching uh, about Jesus and about the kingdom and about the resurrection, these were not cleverly devised myths that somebody came up with. We lived through it. Now, this is important. Peter is saying, number one, we lived through these experiences and we saw them with our own eyes, okay? If you're going to a trial, if you're going to court and somebody is going to testify against you, it is damning evidence if they are an eyewitness. If you've got somebody that saw you murder someone rather than hearsay or them trying to put together facts that, well, you know, from all the facts we can tell he had the opportunity to be in the place, he had the motive to be in the place, if people saw you doing it, that's the end of the story. They were there. They watched it happen. It's an eyewitness. What we have here is eyewitness testimony. Peter was there. He saw Jesus Christ. He saw him in his ministry. He saw him perform miracles. He saw him raise the dead. And then he saw him resurrected. The Bible even says, Paul taught this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to Peter and the other disciples. So Jesus showed his resurrected body to Peter and to the other disciples. And then Paul says, he showed himself to over 500 of his followers at one time. That's 1 Corinthians 15. So recognize this. These are eyewitness accounts. What Peter's writing. By the way, that these, these letters that we have in our Bibles, this is not just something that the church made up to print in a Bible. These are documents of antiquity that have been discovered and found all over the world by secular archaeologists. And we continue to find more and more manuscript copies of the New Testament every single year. It has, and I'll get into this in a moment, but the, the New Testament manuscripts have more historical evidence of existence than any other document from antiquity. 
any, even the Iliad, which was written by Homer, we have far more copies of the New Testament and fragments of the New Testament than copies have been, that have been found of Iliad by Homer, the Iliad. I think there's like 150 known copies of the Iliad that have been discovered in antiquity. There's over 6,000 manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament that have been discovered in archaeology. 6,000 versus 150, which by the way is the next closest document in history. The rest, you know, there's there's a lot of documents that are taught in universities that have four copies that have been found, 15 copies, 30 copies of another document. We have over 6,000 copies of the New Testament or fragments that have been found throughout the world. And so this is not something we just made up. These are uh, manuscripts that have been dated. They can go all the way back to the fourth and third uh, uh, century, a lot of them. And uh, you have some that have been found that have been done in the found in the life of the eyewitnesses. Now you look at this, Peter himself, who was there, is saying this was not a myth we devised. This is something we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now go on to verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, verse 18, heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. You understand, on the mountain of transfiguration is what he's referring to. On the mountain of transfiguration, it's not Jesus coming down off the mountain and said, hey, Moses and Elijah were here and, uh, you know, God spoke and we all heard it and, you know, then they disappeared. No, they were with him on the mountain. They were with him. They heard God speak. They saw Moses and Elijah and they spoke up and said, wow, this is amazing. We should build monuments to these men because they didn't know what to say. <laughs> we should build monuments to these men. They're so freaked out. They were there. Eyewitnesses of supernatural things. Okay, keep going. We heard ourselves, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Get that. No prophecy comes from somebody else's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said. So what Peter's making, he's pointing to is, don't you realize that even the New Testament scriptures, the things that he was still writing, Peter, by the way, in his letters, recognized that when Paul was writing, Peter called what Paul wrote scripture. Peter referred to Paul's letters to the churches as scripture in his letters. They recognized what was happening. God was, as he said, they're being carried along by the Holy Spirit and inspired to write these things. And so they, they understood it was scripture, not to mention they considered all of the Old Testament that we have today 
the word of God, scripture. Jews, for thousands of years, considered those things God's word and scripture as they still do today, as I do and as you do. The Old Testament is God's word just as much as the New Testament is God's word. And Jesus, watch this, Jesus pointed back to Old Testament teachings and called them God speaking. Do you know that Jesus pointed back at the book of Deuteronomy, which by the way, there are liberal scholars today, even in uni Christian universities, that would say, well, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, you know, we're not even sure there was a person named Moses. And if there was, he probably didn't write Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy sh shouldn't even be in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. Jesus himself, and we have manuscript proof record that he said this. Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, you err because you do not know the word of God. And he said, don't you remember when God said to you, didn't you read what? Now, this is important. Remember, remember this. When Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, he says, didn't you read what God said? Think about that. Normally, what you would say is, uh, if you were saying to somebody, didn't you read? What you would end it with is, didn't you read what was written? That's not what Jesus said at all. Referring to the book of Deuteronomy, he said, did you not read what God said? Showing that Jesus himself believed that even the Old Testament writers were not just writing books. It was God speaking through those Old Testament writers. D didn't you read what God said? And this is what he said to the Pharisees. And so understand that even Jesus pointed back to Old Testament scripture and said, that was the word of God. And literally, the New Testament scripture is proved to be the word of God by prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled is the greatest proof, in my opinion, the greatest proof that the Bible is the word of God that there could ever be. Without, I mean, you could point to miracles as well. It produces signs, wonders, and miracles, which no other, uh, no other, uh, biblical or no other quote unquote holy text does. However, prophecy fulfilled is a miracle. It's a supernatural miracle that can be logged historically and never debated. I mean, they can debate it, but they can't be, they can't disprove it because these are things that happened in history that were prophesied hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before, before some of these things were even available to be known about or prophesied about. I'll give you an example. And uh, before I give you the example, let, let me read, read this to you because uh, this is something that you're going to want to hear. This is something that you're going to want to hear. It's a confession of why you believe the Bible. And listen, it's based on the scriptures we just went over. Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. Listen to this. I believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses uh, reporting supernatural events that fulfilled specific prophecies and they claimed their writings to be divine rather than human in origin. That's a great book. I recommend that book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist to every young person I meet that says they're doubting their faith. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast or if you're not on YouTube, 
uh, Ariana said, the book you recommended, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, um, use this evidence also. Absolutely. Um, that book is by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek, both apologists. I give that book to every young person who says that they're having doubts about God or doubts about their faith, uh, doubts about Christianity. I said, okay, do me a favor. Because obviously there's people that have studied this for thousands of years. Um, do me a favor, if you would, before you make a massive life decision to just remove Christianity from your life and say, well, I don't believe in a God, or if there is one, I don't, I can't prove it, so I'm going to be an agnostic. Before you do any of that, do me a favor and read this book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And what you'll find out is um, the, the book is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And it's co-written, two authors, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. I'm going to actually copy and paste uh, what she wrote. Can I do it or not? Yeah, there we go. Let me see if I can copy that and paste it. I can. Look at that. I just popped it into the comments for everybody to see. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. It's a book on apologetics, uh, but it's important to understand that, you know, these things are historically backed historically backed. These are events that took place in history that are that can be proven, that were prophesied without question by holy men of God that were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter said, thousands of years before and sometimes hundreds of years before the events actually took place. And um, so I want you to hear this. I'm going to read that quote again. I believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses reporting supernatural events that fulfilled specific prophecies and they claim their writings to be divine rather than human. So I want you to hear this. When Paul, this is such a, a huge point to bring up because it's telling, especially in light of the historical evidence. It's very telling. When Paul stood in front of, uh, or wrote his letter, I should say, to the Corinthian church. He makes the point to tell them that Jesus stood in front of over 500 people at one time and showed his resurrected body to them after being crucified, after being wrapped in grave clothes, after being placed in a tomb. He rose on the third day, and there's proof that he did. There's proof. I don't think people know this. You know, you think we have to just take Jesus' resurrection um, at face value by faith and just say, well, I just believe by faith he's raised from the dead. Yes, you do have to believe by faith he's raised from the dead in order to be saved. But historically, the resurrection of Christ is a historical fact based upon manuscript evidence we have from antiquity. Think about the fact that all these people are writing about the fact, not people that heard it from somebody else, People who were there, they were there and said, no, 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 I was there. He was dead and he came back to life. We are eyewitnesses of this account. We were there. We saw his, his body. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let me start with verse three. Listen to this. I passed on to you what was most important and what was said and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, 
And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Verse 5, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Verse 6, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most, now this is an important phrase, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Verse seven, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born in the wrong time, I also saw him from the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And so I want you to see this. Um, it's, it's so interesting because Paul makes the, the, uh, the point, let go down to verse, uh, 12, listen to this, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our, all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. All right, so think about that. Think about just that. Paul is saying that, and, and by the way, they've done, they've, they've, asked psychologists they've asked everybody and because they're you know one of the arguments against this is well you know they all were so sad christ was dead that all of his 500 followers were having uh, a mental psychotic break they were having a delusion that they saw jesus you know that it was just like a daydream they all so badly wanted to see him again that they all had a delusion even secular psychologists have said it is impossible for 500 different individuals to all have the exact same delusion. It's not even scientifically possible, psychologically possible. And so uh, the reason I said it's so important that you recognize that Paul said he showed himself to over 500 of his followers. Most of you are still here and alive, though some have died. Okay, stop there. Most of you here are still alive. Let me ask you a question, and I'll answer the question too, because you may not know. How many documents from antiquity do we have from eyewitnesses who say, I was actually there, I was one of those listed that were that Jesus quote-unquote showed himself to, and I'm writing to let you know it never happened. I was there, it did not happen, it was all a lie, it was all a farce, it was just a conspiracy to press this new Christianity on the world, and none of it ever happened. How many of those documents do we have in history? Let me answer it for you. Zero. We have zero eyewitness account documents denying the resurrection of Christ. And let me tell you, these people had opportunity to do so. There was plenty, listen to me, there were plenty of opportunities for people to write the New Testament and tell the testimony, Jesus is alive, we saw him with our own eyes. Plenty of opportunity. Look at all the manuscripts we have that have been found around the world that could never have been, you know, made up or manipulated. First of all, manuscript manipulation is one of the, like, it's literally one of the dumbest things anyone could ever argue. It's, it's literally impossible. And I won't get into why, but let me just say they were found all over, not just in one location, all over the place, all the way from Egypt, Israel, you go all around, Alexandria, they found manuscripts, 
You go all around different places throughout the world, many of them buried for thousands of years. You're telling me that someone went around and dug up every manuscript that was ever written of the New Testament, changed doctrines in the Bible without their penmanship being noticed by scholars who were examining the documents, and then buried them all back where they found them, some of which were under lock and key and guarded by armed guards, literally. So it's just ridiculous. So understand this. There are zero eyewitness testimonies from history that Jesus did not rise from the dead. I was there. It's all a lie. He didn't come back. They all had opportunity, but there's a majority overwhelming evidence from antiquity. He rose from the dead and we saw him. We all saw him. I'll go further with that. Not only did they say they saw him, keep this in mind. Christianity was under heavy, heavy persecution until what? About midway through the fourth or fifth century. And like killing, torturing and killing believers, letting them be eaten by lions while alive, uh, you know, cutting their body parts up, crucifying them, um, you know, literally sawing them in half. Uh, I mean, whatever, stoning them, all these different martyrs. Okay. So all remember this, by the way, all these guys had to do to not be tortured and killed was to say it was all a lie. Jesus Jesus never rose from the dead. Christianity is a farce. It's all, all, but remember this, none of them, none of them were willing to deny what they saw, not under just threat of death. Like we get injected with, uh, you know, uh, uh, lethal injection and we just fall asleep and never wake up again. We're talking about torturous death. We're talking about being eaten alive by wild animals in front of a crowd. We're talking about being crucified like Christ. We're talking about being sawn in half while alive. We're talking about being mutilated and killed in front of a, a crowd of mocking unbelievers. You and your family. And all they had to do was say, Jesus is not alive. But notice, none of them were willing to say Jesus is not alive. None of them were willing to deny Christ. They all accepted death rather than eternal death. Now, if you don't think that's supernatural, if you don't think that that's a proof, just remember the Watergate scandal. That here you have men that are the most powerful men in the world that just at the threat of going to jail begin to all tell the truth and lie about each other and, and and literally make known what actually went on in the conspiracy and ratted each other out and it all came out in a very short period of time. They weren't doing it at the threat of torturous death, just at the threat of jail. Here's men that would have gone through torture and death, slow, grueling torture, as they played games with them in front of those that didn't believe and said, I'm willing to endure that. I'm willing to endure that for my love for Christ and my, not my belief, my, my knowing because I saw him that he is alive. And history tells us that it, history tells us what happened to these men tells us. So that's number one, understand not only is the Bible written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of, why did I say during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses? Because the, during the lifetime of people that could have refuted it and say, no, I was there. It didn't happen. They never did it. And let me go further here. And they, they claimed their writings to be divine rather than human. 
Well, what is a sign that you could know that a writing is divine? How could you know that a writing is divine? Well, one of the easiest ways to know if a writing is divine is if a writing continually and consistently predicts specific future events. No one knows the future. If anyone did, I mean, people can guess the future, and some people have guessed relatively accurately, but even Warren Buffett, who is considered to be the most prolific investor on the, in the stock market today, has not made every correct prediction about what stocks will do or what Wall Street will do. He's made incorrect predictions. Otherwise, his wealth would be unlimited if every prediction about the future he made was correct. It's not correct always, but the majority of the time he's made good guesses. But what I'm talking about is Bible prophecy, which by the way, is not general. You know, there's not general prophecies about Jesus. I'm just going to show you some of what we call messianic prophecy. And what messianic prophecy is, it's Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And let me just break it down for those that may, you know, let's look at the Jewish the Jewish uh, position of perspective. It's just Old Testament prophecies, and they don't believe in a New Testament. It's just God's word, prophecies in God's word about the Messiah to come. And this is why the Bible tells us that they've had a delusion pulled over their eyes. They won't believe the truth because their own prophecies so specifically prove that Jesus was the Messiah, you'd be crazy to not believe he is. There's over what? Uh, two, if you count all of not just the prophecies, but the ramifications of Messianic prophecy, over 270 items, 270 different things said about Jesus or ramifications of those things that all were specifically fulfilled. Let me, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example here. Um, the Bible says that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. So understand this, of anywhere in the world that the Messiah could have been born, any city, any town, any nation, the Bible predicted Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And Jesus to specifically to specifically fulfill that prophecy. Remember this because Joseph and Mary did not live in Bethlehem. Where did they live? Nazareth it was not Bethlehem. But why did they have to go? Because of the census that was being taken. The census that was being taken. So they had to travel. Think about this. They just be just for that prophecy to be fulfilled, a governmental ruler created a census to be taken that caused all those people to go. And so because of that, Joseph and Mary had to travel while she was very, very pregnant at the end of her pregnancy, had to travel to Bethlehem to adhere to the to the rule that we are going to do this census. And while in Bethlehem, whatever device it took to get them into that town, while there, she gives birth to the Savior. Gives birth to the Savior. Think about that. It's supernatural. Number two, that the Messiah would come 
from the tribe of Judah. That's why, by the way, if you don't understand why books like Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, take so much time to give you genealogies at the beginning, it's to show you through Bible prophecy that Jesus was a descendant of David who was part of the tribe of Judah. There were, there were, I'm sure you know this, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus could have come from any of the 12 tribes, except it was prophesied that he would come from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10. He would come from the tribe of Judah. Why do you think, look at the book of Luke, look at the book of Matthew, they give take great care to list his genealogy so you know who he came from. To fulfill prophecy, he came through the line of David, which was the tribe of Judah. I mean, you you go one one thing to the other. Um, he would be called Emmanuel. Isaiah seven fourteen that was fulfilled in Matthew one twenty three. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He would spend a season in Egypt. That was prophesied in Hosea eleven one, fulfilled in Matthew two fourteen and fifteen. So you know that when Herod found out that there was a king being born, him thinking he's going to take my natural throne, you know what he did, started killing all of the children that were two and younger. Because according to the wise men, this king was born within the last two years. And so what does he start doing? Killing all the kids, two and under, the boys. So what happens? Jesus and his family escape into Egypt for a period of time until Herod's gone and they could safely come back. Fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea 11.1 1, that he would go and spend a season or some time in Egypt. Um, let me say this because this is, this is insane. Um, one of the things that really, really gets me is that the Bible prophesies that he would be betrayed, number one, but the price paid for his betrayal would be used to buy a potter's field. Now think about this. The, the, the prophet prophesied in Zechariah 11, 12 and 13, that the money used to betray Jesus to purchase his price would be used to buy a potter's field, which is exactly what Judas did, Matthew 27, verses 9 and 10, and then hung himself in that field. That he would be silent before his accuser. Isaiah 53, 7, came to pass, Mark 15, 4 through 5. That he would be spat upon and struck, Isaiah 50 and verse 6, fulfilled in Matthew 26, 67. That he would be hated without cause, now listen to this. He would be crucified with criminals. Isaiah 53, 12. Now, I want you to think about this. When it was, let, let me let me go to one here. I want, I want you to see this because this is so very important. Uh, the Bible says, not yeah, this is the one I wanted to show you, uh, that the Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. There's a prophecy, two prophecies in the Old Testament that is hands and feet. Psalm 22, 16 and Zechariah 12.10. They prophesied. Now, this is a very, very specific prophecy because if you think about this, the Messiah's hands and feet will be pierced. That's speaking of crucifixion. This was prophesied 
hundreds of years before crucifixion even existed as a punishment. Think about that. This is something that prophets prophesied about the Messiah, that that time had to pass and pass and pass until a nation thought up or devised a punishment where they crucified criminals to a cross, thus having their hands and feet pierced. Okay, so just the odds that, that any nation would come up with such a punishment. I mean, we don't have that today. We don't have that in America today. It's not in Canada. It's not in the UK. It's not in Brazil. It's not, you know, it's it's not in the Caribbean islands. It's not, you're not going to find crucifixion as a corporal punishment, but it was in Jesus day, but it wasn't before Jesus day. So literally nations had to develop corporal punishment to crucify criminals by piercing their hands and feet to a cross in order for this prophecy to be literally fulfilled. So think about it. It was not a punishment when it was prophesied. It became a punishment when Jesus' life was going on on the earth and then fell out of fashion and is no longer a punishment. So think about the fact that it existed for a period of time just so that prophecy could be fulfilled. That's supernatural. Supernatural. Not to mention, they're not, remember this, they're not just prophesying that that, uh, a punishment would arise where people's hands and feet would be pierced. The, the prophet's not prophesying that crucifixion would come about. He's prophe- prophesying about a certain man, Jesus. We know to be Jesus. They just saw him as the Messiah. They're prophesying what would happen to a certain man, not what would happen in a nation that a punishment would be created. That's more general. They're, they're prophesying something specific. The Messiah would be would take part in that punishment and have his hands and feet pierced. That is so supernatural. You can't play with this stuff. You can't fake this stuff. You can't fake it. And I'm going to tell you why at the end of this. Um, Number 30, on this list, 35, soldiers, it's prophesied. Soldiers would gamble for the Messiah's garments. Psalm 22, 18. Soldiers would gamble for his garments. Fulfilled in Luke 23, 34 and Matthew 27, 35 and 36. Of course, those are synoptic gospels telling the same story. So you understand that they prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before soldiers will gamble for the Messiah's garments. That's super specific, extremely specific. And let me tell you another thing about this is that um, if you want, if you want a list, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple good books, Chris, um, to get, but think, think about this for a moment. In the day of Jesus' punishment, they literally had to break precedent and break the procedure of crucifixion to fulfill this prophecy. Because the custom was, it was such a shameful thing to be crucified in life, that if you were a criminal who was crucified, they would tear up your garments, they'd tear up your clothes. However, rather than tearing up Jesus' garment, they cast lots for it or gambled for it, the Bible says. They shouldn't have done that. They should have torn up his garments. But to fulfill prophecy, they broke procedure and literally did what was prophesied and gambled for his garments. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Um, the Bible says, and this is a huge one. This is a huge one too, that the Messiah's bones 
would not be broken. Now that's prophesied in Exodus 12, 46 and Psalm 34, 20. Not a bone in his body will be broken. Now, the reason that this is so amazing about Jesus is because when you study the punishment of crucifixion, one of the things that they did in order to cause people to die faster on their crosses is that many people think when you're crucified, the way the reason you die is because of trauma or your hands and feet are pierced and you know you you lose all that blood and die on the cross. That is not how you die on a cross. The way you, the reason you die on a cross is because at some point you get tired of hanging and you start to hang so far down that your lungs become compressed and you you suffocate to death. You you actually can't breathe. That is how people die on a cross. They they suffocate. And understand this, the reason I say this about the breaking of bones is that if people weren't dying fast enough, the soldiers or the guards would come by their cross and break their legs. And the reason they would break their legs is because once your legs are broken, it speeds up the process because you can't stand yourself up in order to expand your lungs and take breaths. So now that your legs are broken, you you will hang until your lungs are so compressed you can't breathe and you'll suffocate and die even more quickly than you would if your legs were not broken. However, this is why the Bible says that when the soldiers came to check on Jesus, they were surprised to find he was already dead. Think about the, the fact that the Bible says that. When they came to check on Jesus, they were surprised to find that he was already dead. Why was that surprising? People don't usually die that quick on the cross. And they were coming to break his legs and speed up the process. But they didn't have to break his legs because he was already gone, thus fulfilling the prophecy, not a bone in his body would be broken. That's specific when you get to crucifixion. Very important to understand that. Not a bone in his body would be broken. The Bible says, not only that, but soldiers would pierce his side. Zechariah 12.10, of course, in John 19.34, that is uh, fulfilled. He would be buried with the rich. Think about this. That's Isaiah 53.9, fulfilled in Matthew 27.57-60, and we know that Joseph of Arimathea allowed Christ to use his tomb, and he was a wealthy man. Of course, prophesied that he would be resurrected from the dead, which came to pass, literally, as we just covered in historical antiquity. We have the documents that eyewitnesses confirmed they saw him rise from the dead. I mean, you can go right through all of Messianic prophecy. There's over 270 prophecies and, and ramifications of messianic prophecy and uh the powerful thing is jesus didn't just fulfill some of them he fulfilled all of them all of them now let me finish by saying today that the fact that he fulfilled all 270 is so ridiculously unheard of that it's impossible it's just simply impossible if it's not god orchestrating things and here's why there was a man who was a statistician and really um, he would study the odds of certain things. And uh, one of the things that he would study is the probability and statistics of certain events. 
And so he took on the, uh, his name was Peter Stoner, wrote a book, and you can find it in this book. The book was called Science Speaks. Science Speaks by Peter Stoner. And there's another author as well. And so in the book, he studies messianic prophecy and then gives you a breakdown of the odds that something like this could actually come to pass in history, dealing with one man throughout history. So even though there were 270 prophecies and ramifications of the Messiah, he said, let's make it even more simple than that. Let's just find out what are the odds that any one man from history could fulfill only eight, only eight of the over 270 prophecies and ramifications that were spoken about the Messiah. Let's look at the life of Jesus and say, what would be the odds that only eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled by the same man within his lifetime? Do you know what they found out? They found out that the odds that one man would fulfill not 270, only eight of these messianic prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, let me tell you what that number is. 10 to the 17th power is 100 quadrillion. 100 quadrillion. It's a one with 17 zeros after it. 100 quadrillion. That's a number so large that you and I can't even fathom how big of a number it is. So in order to help us understand the size of that number, they gave us a picture of what those odds would look like if we played them out. And this is what they said. You could take silver dollars, an American silver dollar, and you could, if you had 100 quadrillion of them, you could fill the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Now think about that. The entire state of Texas is filled two feet deep with silver dollars. Then they said we would pick up one of them and put a red X on that silver dollar and we would throw it out somewhere within the state. Then what you'd do is you would take that man or any man from history, blindfold them, and let them start walking from any town or city they want in Texas and tell them, when you feel lucky, when you feel lucky, bend down and pick up a silver dollar. The odds that they would find the one with the red X on it in the sea of silver dollars are the same odds that one man from history would fulfill only eight of the prophecies spoken about the Messiah. And the good news is this, Jesus did not fulfill eight of the prophecies. He fulfilled every one of the 270 prophecies and ramifications during his lifetime and many of them in the final hours of his life on the cross. Think about that. In the final hours of his life, his side was pierced. That was prophesied. Garments were torn up. Bones weren't broken. Hands and feet were pierced. Rejected by God. Turned his back on God. Turned his back on all these. You could go in the final hours of his life. Jesus fulfilled more than eight, let alone the rest of his 33 years. What I'm telling you, 
is that it is an impossibility, an impossibility for any man to literally fulfill these messianic prophecies given about Jesus. However, our Bible is filled with things that are said about Christ that were not general prophecies or vague. They're not vague. Think about how specific this prophecy is. He'll be born in Bethlehem. <laughs> he could have been born anywhere. That's specific. His bones will never be broken. His hands and feet will be pierced. Think about these things. His side will be pierced. They will gamble for his garments. These are specific things, not general. You know, it's not like them saying his hair will be brown. Like, so, you know, that's not a specific. There's tons of people whose hair is brown. That's not a specific prophecy. But you look across the earth even today. You wouldn't be able to do what you did with Jesus, what God did with Jesus in messianic prophecy. You would not be able to do it. It is impossible. It is literally and scientifically impossible for these things to have happened. We have more evidence in history that Jesus Christ existed and did these things than we do that Julius Caesar or George Washington existed as real men. Yet they're taught in universities and schools and no one has an issue with it because, well, that's fine. That's history. We have more reliable history about Jesus and the apostles and the writing of the New Testament than we do about any other thing in history. Any other thing. I am happy that we have so many different manuscript copies of the autographs available to us. It is just proof. Christianity exploded onto the scene in the first century, and I'm glad that it did in, in the way that it did, so that people, I want you to think about this, the way it would work was not like how the Old Testament worked with Jews, where they had their own nation, they had their own temples and their own religion, and had the time to write the scrolls and keep the scrolls in pots by the table in the temple and preserve the scrolls and all that. Christianity didn't have that. They were under heavy persecution, running to and fro all through these different areas. You go through Greece and Turkey and you know Malta and you know all these all these different places. Israel in the Middle East and just running around with churches. And if you were caught with, with these scriptures, they were taken from you. They were burnt. So what would they do? They would have people that would go from church to church. What do you guys have? Oh, we have Paul's letters to the Corinthians. Oh, good. I have Paul's letters to the Romans. Here, I'll make copies for you. You make copies for me. And then I'll try. And I'm going to go now. I'm going to Ephesus. What do you have? Oh, we have Paul's letter to the Galatians and Philippians. Great. Copy those for me and I'll copy these for you. And they're carrying around these letters from Paul and copies of the Gospels. And, you know, and, and they're exploding all over the known world. And all of these books are being copied and deposited in these churches. And now we have over 6,000 that have been found by archaeologists, manuscripts or fragments, far more, once again, let me make the point, far more than any other book in history, far more. The next closest one has a, about 150 copies. I think now it's over 200 now that they've done more recent search. That's the Iliad by Homer. But 6,000, nothing's close. Nothing's close. Our Bible is a miracle. It is supernatural in origin. Nothing else. You know, there's no prophecies. There's no fulfilled prophecy in the Quran. 
There's no fulfilled prophecy in the Book of Mormon. Those books are not divinely inspired. They're not God-breathed. I'll finish before I pray for you by saying this. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to hear what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to verse 16. Paul said this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now that word, I want you to hear this from me before we pray. That word that Paul used in the Greek language to tell you what God's word is, is the Greek word theonostos. Theonostos. It's two Greek words placed together. Theo, meaning God, and noustos, or pneuma, which means breathe, the wind or the breath. And what he was saying, and by the way, it's important for you to know this, that is the only time in any Greek manuscript of the New Testament that that word theonostos was ever used. It's only used once in the Bible. And it's used once to describe the word of God. And what Paul said to Timothy in the Greek language was, the scripture is God breathed. That's what theonostos means, breathed out by God. It's not written by men. It's not a farce. It's not some kind of a conspiracy. Scripture is breathed out by God, came out of his mouth. He carried the writers along, as I read to you from Peter. He actually inspired them to write what he wanted to be said, then preserved his word, and it's still available to us today, 2,000 years later for the New Testament and close to what? What are we talking here? 6,000 years to 8,000 years later for the Old Testament, preserved his word. And people wondered, let me say, I'm not going to teach on this because we don't have the time, but you go, you go Google it and, and study on it later. When people were saying in the 1930s and the 1940s, well, you know, we're almost 2,000 years away from the original autographs of the Bible. And I'm sure lots of stuff was changed since the, since those things were penned over the years. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the caves of Qumran in the Middle East, a shepherd boy was walking with his sheep and throwing rocks and threw a rock into a cave and heard a shatter. Went in and found all these untouched pots and found rooms. And then they went and ex excavated these caves uh, and found all these chambers that were holding clay pots filled with scrolls from antiquity. Some of the most amazing things, they found a full copy of the book of Isaiah, a full copy. And then they went and they compared the full copy of the book of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scrolls to what we have today in 1940, whatever it was, 1948, I want to say, compared them. Scholars looked at the two manuscripts and said, okay, here's what we have 2,000 years later. Here's what was preserved for all these years in these pots in a cave nobody knew about. Do you know what they found? They found that the book of Isaiah we had today matched the one 
uh, that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, about 99.9% match. And the only differences were in matters of punctuation and spelling. Think about that. This one had, you know, this where this one didn't. In punctuation and spelling. But they were exact. They were exact. And that's not all they found in there. They found stuff throughout the entire Bible in those scrolls and those pots in the caves of Qumran. You study it for yourself. The Bible was not changed. It's not been manipulated. It has not been harassed. It has not been molested by, by devious men with an antichrist agenda. What we have is what was written and copied down through the ages, and it remains the same. It remains the same. For God himself promised he would preserve his word, and he's done so. He has done so. And I want you to hear me today. The Bible is a miracle. It's a miracle, and it's not another holy book like other religions hold. It is the theonostos, the God-breathed word from heaven that we hold in our hands. We hold it in our hands. You should have a new appreciation for your Bible. You know, I used to think it was goofy. When people, I'd see people on video or I'd see people overseas kissing their Bible. But I don't think it's foolish anymore. I don't think it's stupid anymore. When you understand what this is, when you understand what God gave us, I mean, this is super, and I'm not a mushy person. I'm not a, a flighty person. I'm not a goofy person. I'm Pentecostal. I believe the doctrines of the Bible, but I don't think anymore that it's foolish or goofy or far-fetched or dramatic if people, I see people kissing their Bible. I don't because I understand the love that people are feeling for what they're actually holding in their hands. I wept. I actually cried tears. And I don't know if you've seen it. A, a video came up on Facebook for me. And I don't know if it was staged or if it was if it was real. I'm sure it was real. It was the it was a video of a group of Chinese believers in a nation where the Bible is banned and churches have to be underground. An unboxing of Bibles for those believers in their native tongue, whether they were written in Mandarin or Cantonese or whatever it might be. And they let me tell you, those Chinese believers. swarmed that box of Bibles like if you dropped out a box of French fries at the beach and they were seagulls. I mean, those those men and women swooped in to make sure they got a copy of their own Bible. If you've, I don't know if you've seen this. If not, you need to Google it or put it on YouTube and see if you can find it. And when, I mean, tore that box up to get their hands on their own Bible, and when they did, they held it up to their mouth, kissed kissed their Bible, kissed it, hugged it. I saw people hugging their Bible in nations where they can't have the word of God, watching the believers hug their Bible, kiss their Bible. When you hear stories about nations where they're so persecuted about having the word of God, that they literally had to put written out versions of scripture inside of a protective casing and then and then baking those scriptures inside of loaves of bread 
so that if military personnel or anybody from the government stormed their house to search for the Bible or scriptural content, they would look and just see groceries and bread. But then they would be able to later tear open those loaves of bread and pull out those scriptures in case that they'd written. You understand. And then you've got people in America that have 42 Bibles in their homes and never even pick them up to read them. 42 Bibles. And we've got Bibles in our cars and we've got Bibles in our offices and Bibles in our bookshelves and Bibles on the coffee table and Bibles gathering dust. And people don't realize what a blessing it is in 2020 to hold a perfectly bound Bible in your hand or even on your phone or tablet to have access to the mighty word of God that is life-changing, that is earth-changing, and you have access to it whenever you want. And it's not just another book. It is God's theonostos word. It is God-breathed, and it's supernatural. I believe, once again, let me say this to you if you didn't hear me say it. I believe the Bible. Why do I believe it? Because it is a book written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And not only was it written during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, it was actually purporting prophecies specific prophecies that have been fulfilled and they claimed their writing to be divine rather than human in origin. If you don't remember anything, remember 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. It's why we believe the Bible. It prophesied the future accurately. Do you realize at the time of the Bible's writing, it was over one third prophecy and roughly 80% of those prophecies have already been literally fulfilled with the other 20% coming in the near future? No other book has done that. We have the mighty word of God in our hands today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those believers, not just to give them an answer. I pray that you'd give every one of us a new love for your word, a new love to study and a hunger to study and to fill ourselves. As David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Give us all a new love for your word. Give us a love for your spirit-inspired word. Give us revelation we've never had. Let us read it with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Let us see things we've never seen in 2020. Give us new revelation, for your word declares that we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise for your goodness, your mercy, all that you've done for us. You're a wonderful, wonderful Savior, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. I pray God gives you a new hunger in 2020 to read the word like you've never, ever done, to devour it, to study it. And I want to take a moment to encourage you right now to sow a seed by faith into this ministry. And as I said, for every person that's partnering with us at $1,000 or more, we're going to send you a copy of this Life Application Study Bible. This is one of the nicest Bibles I've ever held in my hands. And I've had quite a few. I'm guilty of what I just said a moment ago, having all kinds of different Bibles. And I don't think it's a bad thing to own Bibles. There's many different translations that you can study and they're wonderful. Uh, but this is, I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because we're doing it because 
I searched and searched and searched. And this is one of the nicest Bibles that I've ever held. Uh, not just because it's a study Bible, has all the notes uh, and the wonderful things that they've put together, the maps. This Bible has such in-depth maps. and I've never seen a Bible with more maps in the back explaining things than this one does have. Uh, it has all these different uh, ways that you can study. It actually does not just the themes and the, and the notes. It, it actually does, and here's one right here from Onesimus, who Paul taught while he was in prison. Uh, it gives you profiles of Bible characters, explains to you who they were, when they were, what they did. It's an excellent, excellent tool. And then covered in genuine leather, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely, yeah, please, thank you very much, Tyler. Chinese Christians get their first Bibles. I'm going to get, I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to post the link to that. I'm going to post it in the comments section. Um, hang on. Let me see. I think I found it. Yeah, I found it. I did find it. Let me pop it up and I'm going to pop, pop the comments for the, for those that want to see this. Just looking at it again just gives me, I'm blown away by it. Here it is in the comments. That's the link. If you guys want to watch it later, that's the link. Chinese Christians get their first Bibles and to watch their reactions and to watch how just the love and the joy they feel to get their own copy of scripture is mind blowing. But I'm just telling you. It's supernatural. The Bible is supernatural. Uh, those of you, yes, I'm going to pray for the sick as well, Frank, in just a moment. We have prayer requests that are coming in. We've seen um, supernatural testimonies in just the last few weeks. Cancer disappeared. Deaf ears opened. Crippled conditions gone. Uh, lumps and breasts gone. I mean, supernatural things. Uh, it's God's moving. This is a year of violent increase, expedited favor. And when we pray for the sick in just a moment, I'm expecting you to quickly see your healing. And so I want to say thank you to everybody that's standing with us and uh, partnership. Those that are sitting with us to believe for miracles around the world, see souls saved. We're seeing it. God's doing it. And um, look at this. It's just this people enjoying this video. It's, it's amazing. Watch that video and let God move your heart. If you'd like to give by PayPal, you can do so. The information's on the screen. Venmo and Cash App. The username is MWGive. Of course, if you're on Periscope or YouTube, you can use hashtag donate to sow your seed. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Carolyn and myself as we're preaching the gospel around the world. You can do all of that at miracleword.com and you can click on the partner link. You can see what we're doing. You can fill out the form and stand with us on a monthly basis. And we say thank you to all of those of you that are doing that. We love you and we definitely appreciate you. And as I said, for those that are standing at $1,000 or more, we're gonna send you this New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible. I took this one from the office for myself because I didn't have it. And I, when I started looking through it, signing it for those that, because we're signing these to you, those that partner with us, I'm signing to you and your family. I was like, man, this thing is nice. I'm taking, I'm taking this one for me. And so I took one of them. I love this and I've been getting into it. It's phenomenal. So it's touted as it's uh, today's number one selling study Bible. And I've not, I, I, I was like, man, that's hard to believe, but it's amazing. And it is, it's worth every single penny that I paid for it. Phenomenal. We love you guys so much. I'm going to be back again tomorrow, 10 30 AM 
as normal. And uh, we're going to be going deeper in some of these things. This stirs me up, man, to know that we hold a supernatural book in our hands that was given to us by God himself. And we still have today accurate rendering of what was said during the time that was written. It's supernatural. Those of you that have written in, and I'm getting messages also via text. Those of you that are texting me, you're connected by text. If you haven't done so yet, as I said at the beginning, miracleword.com forward slash text. And it's important that we stay connected this way. You can always send me your messages. I get them directly to my phone. That's, it comes through as a text message. Uh, your, your prayer requests, I can contact you, pray for you, let you know what's going on. It, it, it helps. So go to miracleword.com forward slash text. For every person that's been writing in prayer requests on the broadcast today, let me pray for you physically. Those of you that are battling sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, all these things. In Jesus' name, I take authority over every attack of the enemy that's coming against God's people. I rebuke sickness and I rebuke disease by the power of the Holy Ghost. I command those things to leave your body today. I lose healing virtue as Jesus did in Matthew chapter eight. I release healing virtue to every man and woman watching this live or on the replay. Maybe you're listening in the podcast. I loose the power of God to you today. Receive healing power and virtue into your body. I command every sickness, disease that was holding on to you to loose its grip and let go in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you for your glory. We give you all of the praise for what you're doing among your people. Thank you, Lord, for quick testimonies. It's our year of violent increase, expedited favor. And so we thank you and give you praise for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Listen, I love you guys so much. And thank you for standing with us. Thank you for sowing seeds. Thanks for hanging with me on the broadcast. I love and appreciate it. And I'll see you again tomorrow right here, Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope, and again on the podcast. I love you all. Have a blessed day, and I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.